Down in time for the game. Oh boy. Williams makes a man whiff and goes sprinting to the end zone. All right, here it is, your new top five in the AP Georgia unanimous 63 first place votes. The Bulldogs, number one in the country. Cincinnati, number two. Oklahoma moving up a spot for the second week in a row, moving up from number four to number three. Alabama at four, and on the outside looking in right now would be Ohio State. The Buckeyes coming in at number five. Alabama, obviously, and Ohio State with one loss each. If you flip over to the coaches' poll, then what you see is still Georgia number one. It is unanimous. But the coaches have Oklahoma at number two, Cincinnati three, and Alabama number four. Now, obviously, none of this really means anything until the playoff poll comes out, and that's the one that we really want to see where Oklahoma ranks. Now, we're still three weeks or so away from the playoff poll coming out. That's November 2nd. But you got to think that the playoff poll is probably going to mirror more closely to the coaches than than the AP in terms of what to do with Cincinnati. I, I think there's a, a, a large push. There's a large movement to get Cincinnati into the college football playoff if the Bearcats go the gauntlet. They they go undefeated. They win the conference championship. They're in. I mean, I just I think that there's enough in play here to make that happen. However, I don't believe an undefeated Cincinnati team gets in at number two over, let's say, an undefeated Oklahoma team. If the Sooners were to run the gauntlet and win the Big 12 and, and go into the playoff undefeated, I, I don't think that they would be behind Cincinnati. But the, the more important thing here is Alabama and Ohio State, because as a one loss team, Let's say the let's say the tide. Okay, they're they're number four. Let's say they're number four in the playoff ranking as well. Now we still have three weekends of college football before that the playoff rankings come out. But for the sake of this conversation, let's say Alabama gets into the conference championship game, plays Georgia, beats Georgia, and then you have a one-loss Georgia and a one-loss Alabama. Those two teams, the way it stands right now, those two teams are making the playoffs. Ohio State's not going to sneak in. The Big Ten's being exposed a little bit, particularly with what happened to Iowa. You know, that, that loss was at home, which makes it even worse. So you're going to have two SEC schools in. Oklahoma, th- this is where it gets tricky, okay? Because of the four schools we're mentioned, Cincinnati's the most vulnerable, right? If you want to, if you want to, if you want to have the best chance to win the college football playoff semifinal game and and go where you've never gone before, Cincinnati's the matchup you want. Now, I'm not saying Oklahoma can't beat Georgia. I'm not saying Oklahoma can't beat Alabama. I don't know if they can or I don't know if they can't. What I, what I am saying is that Oklahoma's odds at beating Cincinnati are greater at this moment than beating Georgia or beating Alabama. Both, particularly Alabama with the loss, but bo- both, both Georgia and Alabama – They've they've had their moments where they look like the powerhouse contenders that everybody thinks they are year in and year out. And then they've also had those moments where they've looked very average. And and let's not forget, Alabama lost to a backup quarterback. 
That they're gonna say, oh, but Alabama had to go on the road. They had to go to College Station, home of the twelfth men. Okay, it was a backup quarterback. It was a backup quarterback that beat Alabama. So if you're if you're the number one seed, you don't get Cincinnati. That's the point I'm making. If you're the number one seed, you don't get Cincinnati. So the best case scenario for me, in my opinion, for Oklahoma fans. Is that if as this plays out, if Alabama were to play Georgia, you want the Bulldogs to win that game. You absolutely want Georgia to win because I think Georgia winning solidifies them at number one. Oklahoma winning the Big 12 championship would solidify them at number two or number three at the very worst. And Cincinnati winning out gives you a first round matchup against Cincinnati. I, I do think, I really think when the college, the way things are right now, if, if nothing changes on November 2nd, when that first poll comes out for the college football playoff, you're going to have the same four schools that we're discussing. That's going to be one through four. Georgia's going to be number one. Alabama's going to be number four. And in either order in between is going to be Cincinnati and Oklahoma. I, I honestly feel that way. So it doesn't matter if you're number three or if you're number two, you're going to get Cincinnati if you're Oklahoma. That's the matchup you want. You want to get that out of the way, get that semifinal win out of the way and then move on to the championship game and let's see what happens. For that scenario to play out, Georgia's got to beat Alabama in the SEC championship and move Ohio State into number four. And then just let the cards fall where they may after that. But there's your rankings. Oklahoma, obviously, with a 52-31 to win over TCU Saturday night in Norman. The Sooners moving on to 7-0 and on the season. Uh, we, we've got lots to talk about. The Sooner Nation podcast. Matt Hofeld flying solo. Um, still communication issues and all that stuff. But, hey, we're here. You're here. Let's make it happen. Uh, at the front, I always say this at the end, but let me say it at the front as well. You can always participate in the podcast two different ways. You can hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland or at heartland-sports.com. We always have a page specifically dedicated to the Sooner Nation podcast. Each week uh, when a new episode comes out on Sunday and Thursday, we have a page for it. And you can throw your comments, suggestions, questions, all that stuff right there as well. That's how you take place or take your part in this podcast. Um, one more recruiting note, because Oklahoma right now for 2022, Sooners sitting at number eight nationally. Keep in mind, they were a, they were top 10 in 2021. They were at number 10. They rounded out the top 10. Currently, Oklahoma number eight nationally, number two in the Big 12, just behind Texas. Got a big commitment this last week. Gabriel Brownlow Dindy. Um, Gabe Dindy is what I guess he's going by. But he commits to Oklahoma, and potentially another one's coming as soon as Monday. So we're recording this on Sunday night, the 17th of October. Monday, October 18th, Gentry Williams is going to announce his decision where he's going to play college football. And, you know, Gentry Williams, if you followed this, he during COVID, he committed to Oklahoma. Post-COVID, he wanted to make those uh, those re- recruiting visits, really flirted heavily with USC. USC makes a coaching change, Ginger Williams being an Oklahoma product. I don't think the Sooners were ever, ever out of this. I do think it was between Oklahoma and USC 
the coaching change happens in Southern California. Arkansas jumps into the mix. Florida jumps into the mix. But I really think now it's Oklahoma. We'll find out on Monday. But adding a four-star athlete uh, from the state of Oklahoma is absolutely going to be something special for this class. And and we've been telling you that, um, you know, we, we've been telling you that this class is going to build. We've been telling you that uh, the 2023 class got a lot of love, right? They got a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of conversation going, but then 2022 wasn't finished. And then you got Gabriel Brown Lodendi, the five-star prospect, Ginger Williams, a four-star prospect, the number one player in the state of Oklahoma, by the way, the number three cornerback. And if you saw the, if you saw the TCU game, you saw the depth of the Oklahoma's defensive secondary exposed. Ginger Williams, there's no reason why he can't come in. He's got great size, six foot, 170. There's no reason why he can't come to Norman and just be ready to, to go, have a chance to play in 2022. I'm not saying he will, but you're seeing freshmen. I mean, you're seeing Latrell McCutcheon out on the field. You're seeing Danny Stutzman on the field. You're, you're seeing Ethan Downs on the field. You're seeing freshmen contribute right now on this team in 2021. There's no reason that when you look at the secondary, there's no reason why that trend won't stay the same for 2022. That's why I think Gentry Williams stays home, uh, becomes a Sooner. Again, number one player in the state of Oklahoma, number three cornerback nationally, and the twenty number 21 player in, in the entire recruiting class for 2022. He's making his decision on Monday. And then I think Chris McKellen, again, a defensive lineman, he's coming. His announcement hasn't you know been scheduled yet, but I think he's going to jump in this class as well. This This 2022 class is far from being done. Sticking to my guns, I still think it could be a top five class and the number one class in the Big 12. So that's the update on recruiting. Obviously, Thursday when we try to try to break down Oklahoma, Kansas, that'll be a fun breakdown, won't it? Uh, we try to break down that game on Thursday. We can recap this and start talking about who might be the next player to commit to Oklahoma. So we got to jump in Oklahoma TCU 51-31 final. Excuse me, 52-31 final, and that's going to be how we. Um, be the theme for the rest of this podcast. And uh, we're going to break down Oklahoma's offense with Caleb Williams' record-breaking performance. Well, we expected this to happen, right? We expected Caleb Williams to start as Oklahoma's quarterback after coming in to replace Spencer Rattler in the Red River rivalry, leading the Sooners to the great, the largest come from behind victory in the history of that series. And then Caleb Williams, all he does is he goes and makes more records uh, in his first start as a Sooner, 18 or 23 passing 295 yards, four passing touchdowns also ran for 66 yards. And if you, you take away the sacks, which you can't, the sacks are a part of the game. But if you were to take away the sacks, He's he's 75 to 80 yards easy rushing, but he had also a rushing touchdown on a 41-yard run that was just spectacular. Five touchdowns. The first freshman quarterback, true freshman quarterback, first quarterback to score five touchdowns in a debut, their first start for the Oklahoma Sooners. First quarterback to score, sorry, not five touchdowns, but to do four passing and one rushing touchdown. Also, if I'm saying this right, I'm pretty sure I remember this from the uh, post-game press release. First true freshman to start for Oklahoma since Jamel Holloway did so in 1985, which, by the way, 1985 was a national championship year. Just throwing that out there. Just throwing that out there. But when you talk about Caleb Williams, you talk about Spencer Rattler, the thing that we said, and we weren't the only voice saying this, there was there was all kinds of people out there saying it, is 
you, you can't go back, right? I mean, I, I used the the, fra- the uh, illustration that the toothpaste was out of the bottle, right? It was out of the tube. You can't put it back in. Um, and everyone saw what Caleb Williams was capable of. They saw physically what he can do on the field. They saw the leadership qualities. They saw the mentality of, of what he had. And you can't you can't unsee that, right? And if you're if you're Lincoln Riley, you've been trying to ride this out with Spencer Rattler, and you reached a point. Lincoln Riley reached a point where the season was on the line. Something had to change. And what it comes down to, whether whether you're talking about his leadership ability, whether you're talking about his physical ability to play the game of football, or whether you're talking about the mental aspect, uh, whichever whichever way you want to go with this conversation. The offense just works with Caleb Williams. I mean, it works. It, it it didn't work with Spencer Rattler. There were things that just didn't happen. Now, I will say this. There are things coming in place, okay? There are three factors that the offense works now. There, there, you go back to, to West Virginia, Kansas State. Really, West Virginia was the worst. That offense was broken. But there are three things happening now. That didn't happen. You go back three weeks ago. Go back to West Virginia. And and one of those things is Caleb Williams. And the proof's in the pudding. 525 total yards of offense against TCU. Uh, 9.1 yards per play against TCU, which, by the way, was a season high. For the second week in a row, 50-plus points. Well, they scored 70-something against Western Carolina. Okay, that doesn't count. We said it over and over again. Western Carolina doesn't count. By the way, Caleb Williams... Looked pretty decent in that game as well. But there's three things that are happening with Oklahoma's offense. The first thing is Caleb Williams. Again, I don't care. You pick the physical aspect of it. You pick the leadership aspect of it. You pick the mental aspect of it. This offense plays differently with Caleb Williams at the quarterback. So that's that's the first thing that you've got going for you right now if you're the Sooners. The, the second thing you've got going for you is Kennedy Brooks. Don't forget... Kenny Brooks made his first start of the season just a week ago against Texas. Now, he had played prior to that, but the the offense had been limited in carries. When I say that, the offense, the running backs, Kennedy Brooks, Eric Gray. But Kennedy Brooks was unleashed against Texas as the starter, a 200-yard performance, two touchdowns. And then how did he follow that up? He followed it up a week later. By going for 153 yards, 7.7 yards per carry, and another score, longest run of the night was a 45-yard run. Now, I, I get it that Zach Evans didn't play, okay? I get that. But Keandre Miller, a lot of people had a lot of good things to say. I'm one of them. You watched him play. The kid's a baller, okay? He's good. But for the second week in a row, Bijan Robinson against Texas, Keandre Miller against TCU, for the second week in a row, Kennedy Brooks has been the best running back on the field. Oh, how can you say that? B. John Robinson is a Heisman candidate. Well, first of all, he's going to be a Heisman candidate in as much as he's going to put up a lot of yards. Had another 100-plus yard game against Oklahoma State. But he's going to be, I mean, minimum, he's going to be on a three-loss team now. So B. John Robinson is going to be the best player on a team that, at minimum, is a three-loss team. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that game, that moment, last Saturday in Dallas. Kenny Brooks was the best running back on the field. I'm not, I'm not knocking Bijan Robinson. To talk about how good Bijan Robinson is, and then to say Kennedy Brooks was better, that's just, that's just an upgrade for Kennedy. I mean, it's even a higher compliment. And it was the same thing Saturday night. 
Kenny Brooks, best running back to play in this game Saturday night. So you, that's the second thing you got going for you. You've got Kennedy Brooks warming up. And and by the way, it doesn't hurt that you've got Marcus Major back with this team. Marcus Major didn't play against TCU, but he was dressed out. So first, we, we knew he was eligible against Texas. He did not dress out for that game. He was in uniform Saturday night in, in Norman against TCU. I would expect we actually see Marcus Major take the field against Kansas on Saturday. But it doesn't help excuse me, it doesn't hurt when you're talking about unleashing your running backs and you're talking about depth. It doesn't hurt that you go from two scholarship running backs to three. And Marcus Majors, like, he's not like he's not just a, a lump of coal over in the corner that if you if, if you run out of stuff, you can go to him. Remember, he ha- he's coming off of a really impressive performance in the Cotton Bowl against Florida. And that's why you saw, just seeing what it looked like, I think there's more coming with this package. But you saw for the first time Eric Gray and Kennedy Brooks in the backfield at the same time. We hadn't really seen that, all right? We, we, we had seen Jeremiah Hall and, and, and Braden Willis. We'd seen them in the backfield with one of the running backs. But for the first time, we saw Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray. I think that was just a, hey, let's, let's see what this looks like and let's show this on film to give some teams some things to think about. But the running game coming around now, is uh is the second factor in why Oklahoma's offense is working. So you got the you got Caleb Williams and and then you got Kennedy Brooks. And then let's let's just say the offensive line finally is working. The, the offensive line is doing better for Oklahoma. Whether we're talking about pass protection, whether we're talking about running lanes, the offensive line is finally finding its stride. And we've seen this. If you if you pay attention to Lincoln Riley coach teams, and I guess I should say, if you pay attention to Bill Biedenboe coached offensive lines, somewhere around the first week, second week of October, this group really kind of finds its stride. Because Bill Biedenboe finds the, the top five that he likes, but also those guys, communication improves, assignments, uh, awareness improves, and, and everybody's filling it all out. But the catalyst here, typically you would say the catalyst is the offensive line. The catalyst here is, is Caleb Williams. The catalyst here is the quarterback who looks to go. He looks for the deep play. You, you, saw, it, you saw it again. You saw it on, on, on Saturday. It was Jaden Hazelwood who was the beneficiary by getting three touchdowns. Uh, and, and good for you, Jaden Hazelwood. I thought he had 56 yards, three receiving touchdowns, really became that possession guy close to the end zone. Uh, you know, when you have six, when you have six catches for less than 60 yards, that's not a great average. That means they're looking for you in tight spaces and good for Jaden Hazelwood for being that guy. But also let's talk about Mike Woods. Let, let, let's talk about Marvin Mims. Almost every time Williams looked deep for Marvin Mims, he had his guy beat and there was pass interference. Mike Woods had some great deep balls. Caleb Williams, the deep ball's working because Caleb Williams doesn't care. He, he doesn't really care about stats as far as completion percentage, which which wasn't terrible, by the way, 18 to 23. Caleb Williams looks for the deep ball. Also, Caleb Williams can run in a way that we haven't really seen. I, I'm going to say he runs even better than than Jalen Hurts. And Jalen Hurts could, could be the leading rusher. He had the capability of being the leading rusher. Caleb Williams has that ability, but I think he's a better runner. I, I And this is going to sound crazy, but... Um, the way he runs reminds you more this the shiftiness of it. It almost reminds you more of a of a faster Baker Mayfield than it does a Mack truck that you saw 
in Jalen Hurts. But Caleb Williams, clearly the catalyst that makes this offense work. He's Kennedy Brooks is getting going uh, on the running game. And then the offensive line is getting better. The offensive line is not a complete unit. You got an injury issue there that you're looking at um, with with Robinson. But maybe, you know, we'll, we'll see what that turns out to be. Um, it could be, it could be nothing. Okay. But it could be, you just never know what that's going to end up being. Um, but all that said, Oklahoma's offense performed admirably on, on Saturday against TCU. When you put up 52 points, when you, when you average 9.1 yards per play, when you put up over 500 yards of offense, there's not a lot to complain about when you talk about the offense. And so I think you got to pick an MVP, the most outstanding player for this offense. And I mean, we've, we've had the quarterbacks off the table all season long. So with the tip of our hat to Caleb Williams, how can you not go with Hazelwood? 9.3 yards per catch, three touchdowns. His longest of the night was 16 yards. But let's talk about the deep play, okay? Trevon West, 35-yard pass completion. Eric Gray, 28-yard pass completion. Marvin Mims, 41-yard pass completion. Michael Woods, 59-yard pass completion. The, the deep plays, the big chunk plays, they're, they're coming back. And then when you add to that that Kennedy Brooks had a 45-yard run and Caleb Williams had a 41-yard run, hey, guys, the big plays are back at Oklahoma and that's that's what you that's all you can ask for. That that's what you wanted. As a fan of this team, you were like, hey, the offense isn't working. That's that's what started this whole thing back against you go back to Nebraska. The offense isn't working. Something's not something's just not functioning properly here. Right? And then West Virginia got worse. Here it is. It, it's working now. And I would put the uh, the TCU defense, they're they're no slouches. And they're definitely not the best defense Oklahoma's played, but um, there there are no slouches, and and so you got to be happy with that. And then again, Jaden Hazelwood, he gets my nod for the offensive player of the game. Six catches, 56 yards. Half of his catches went for touchdowns. That's me. You you tell me who you got, and uh, and I probably won't disagree with you. Now the defense, offense is humming. The defense, well, that's where that's where people got critical. I think again, it's a simple solution, and we'll hit that up on the other side. All right, stop me if you've heard this before, but a quarterback has a best game of the season against Oklahoma's defense. If you listen to the pregame podcast, I said this was going to happen, and it's not because I'm some football genius. It's because you can you can literally see the game plan for this defense. Make them struggle to run. I, I, I said, bold prediction, TCU would not have a 100-yard rusher, and I thought Zach Evans was going to play. So it's not something that happened after the fact. I, I thought he was going to play. I said, TCU would not have a 100-yard rusher, but Max Duggan would have the best game of his season, and that's what he did. 346 yards passing, four touchdowns, average 11.5 yards uh, per pass. But the defense got the job done. And as much as you have the big second, excuse me, the big third quarter offensively where you score three touchdowns and TC only scored 17 points in the entire second half, which is three points more than they scored in the first half. But you already had a lead for Oklahoma. And the 21 points in the third quarter was going to cover the 17 that TCU scored altogether. That doesn't make it less frustrating. I get that. 
It doesn't make it less frustrating. But you got to understand something here. And this is where this is where I kind of I tend to lecture a little bit. I don't mean to. I'm just throwing something out there just as from my perspective. This, this secondary is is depleted. And it's depleted in a bad way. Delarian Turner, yeah, out. He's been out since he got hurt in the West Virginia game. Woody Washington, out. Jeremiah Cradell, out. DJ Graham gets banged up in this game. That's four starters, guys. It's four starters in your secondary. And I see people say to me on social media, it's not like it's just out there. People said to me on social media, well, you don't understand football because if you had a if you had a pass rush, if the if the defensive front was any good, then that would have helped the secondary. No, 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 no. No, that's not how it works. Granted, granted that in theory, in principle, that's a true statement. But let's talk about who was on the field in Oklahoma's secondary. You got Billy Bowman playing cornerback for the very first time this season. A lot of people don't realize it. People I talked to people after the game, oh, he was playing corner. I thought he was still at the nickel. No, he wasn't at the nickelback. Billy Bowman played corner for the first time. And he looked awful doing it. Right? Justin Broyles is out there. You know, Jaden Davis is out there. And Jaden Davis, I mean, he rode the struggle bus against Texas. But there's literally nobody else. You have no one else. So what what does Oklahoma do? The defensive game plan was you're going to use your guys on the line to to control the line of scrimmage and try to pinch the run game. And then you got to give that secondary help. So if that secondary is struggling, you're not bringing Pat Fields on a blitz. If that secondary is struggling, you're, you're you're not bringing your linebackers up. You're dropping them back to try to take away passing lanes. And so people want to know where did where did the pass rush go? There, there's there's where it went right there. It went to support this secondary that was struggling. Oklahoma didn't register a quarterback sack against TCU. I get that, but I also get the reason why. And we can I I'm not an excuse guy, okay? I'm I'm not. But you can throw out the fact that this team should have had a safety. This game should have been 54 to 31 because. There, there should have been, there was two holding calls in the end zone that absolutely should have been a safety. And kudos to Nick Benito, by the way. I, I know the, the tweet got deleted. I started to screenshot it when I saw it because I was like, there's no way this, this tweet's going to, uh, <laughs> there's no way this tweet's going to make it. It's not going to survive, and it didn't. But, you know, Nick Benito called out the Big 12. Someone had, I think it was Sooner Gridiron, someone had posted that play. Nick Benito is one of the guys who gets tackled, like literally tackled in the TCU end zone going after Max Duggan. And um, Nick Benito just said, hey, Big 12 refs, you know, and with a thumbs up. Um, But that's just what it is. You want to know where the pass rush went? Well, holding was allowed pretty much all night long, and you couldn't bring in extra pressure because you had to help that secondary. So there it is. In a nutshell, there's your answer right there. Key Lawrence making his first start. Now, there's good news here. And I said I had a fix for it before we took the break. There is good news here. The good news is, you look at Oklahoma's schedule. So you got Kansas coming up. You're on the road in Lawrence. And if this defense goes out against Kansas, I'm just going to let you know right now, just prepare you six days in advance. 
There will be, if this is the defense, if the starting, the same 11 guys start against Kansas or start against TCU, there's going to be opportunities to ride the struggle bus. There's going to be opportunities for you to be frustrated because Kansas is going to make some plays. They're not a fantastic team, okay? They're not. Oklahoma wins this game. I don't care what the point spread is. Oklahoma wins this game by four touchdowns, so, somewhere along those lines. I'm calling it now. But there's going to be opportunities for Kansas to, to do those frustrating plays against Oklahoma. This is going to be there. That, that opportunity is going to be there. But you got Kansas, so you can get you can get guys out there. You know, Josh Eaton, you can get him more reps, more experience against Kansas. You don't need to Larry Turner yell back against Kansas. He, another week. You don't need Woody Washington back against Kansas. Let him rest another week. And the reason why that's important is because then you go to Lubbock. Then you go to Texas Tech. Again, not a great football team. You know, this TCU team went into Lubbock and ran for 400 yards against Texas Tech. So it should be a good night for the Sooners, even though it's out in West Texas. And typically crazy things happen in West Texas. If you get Woody Washington back that week, that's great. If you get the Larry Turner yell back that week, that's great. But if you don't, you can show that game on the ground. And then you have a bye week. Then you're off. So now we're three weeks in, right? Three weeks in when you get to that bye week. Then you hit like murderer's row. Two of Oklahoma's final three games are on the road at Baylor. Then they're home against Iowa State. And then they end the season with Bedlam. Here's the captain obvious no dust statement of the of the day right now is you need Woody Washington against Baylor. You need Woody Washington against Iowa State. You need Woody Washington against Oklahoma State. You need Delarian Turner Yell. You, you need Jeremiah Criddell. You need DJ Grimm. You need these four guys to get healthy. And you got about a month now. You got about a month before you need them on the field. So if you're looking at the problem, it's easy to diagnose. The secondary is just absolutely depleted. If you're looking for the solution, the solution is time. They need time to heal. And the good news is you've got that time. When you look at the the next month, the next four weeks are pretty favorable. Because you got Kansas, Texas Tech, a bye. And then in that fourth week, you're you're ready to hit Baylor. You're ready to go to Waco. And that's that's the goal. I, I promise you, these guys are talking about it. They're scheming. They're game planning. The goal is to get healthy by the time they go to Waco. If they get healthier before that, fantastic. But are they going to rush it? No. No, they're not. And the product on the field wasn't great. I Just say it what it is. It wasn't great. TCU, 50%. On, on third downs, 7 of 14, 21 first downs. TCU outgained Oklahoma by four yards. The Horn, Horn Frogs had 529 yards to Oklahoma's 525. We talked about Max Duggan, 346 yards, four touchdowns. Man, that Quentin Johnson kid, dude, was a beast, right? Was he not? Think about the play uh, uh, over Josh Eaton. Josh Eaton's in good in good space there, right? He, he's got good positioning. Johnson just that was a grown man play. But you got to you got to give credit where credit's due. 183 rushing yards against Oklahoma. 529 passing yards. Excuse me, 346 passing yards. 529 total yards. 
And the defense still found a way to get a turnover. Now, they subsequently gave it right back, but they did find a way to get a turnover before Deshaun White fumbles it back trying to go in the end zone. But don't hit the panic button on this defense. Understand what's happening with this team. The offense is finding its stride. This defense bailed out a stagnant offense for the first five, six weeks of the season. Now the offense is finding its stride, and it, it has it has the ability and the opportunity, when you look at the schedule, to bail out the defense. And then when, when you hit Baylor, that first game in November, that's when you need everything to be humming on all cylinders. Championship November. Because the Big 12 championship will be decided as far as who's going to go to Arlington, Texas. That's going to be decided in these last three weeks of the season when Oklahoma goes to Baylor, hosts Iowa State, and goes to Stillwater for Bedlam. That's going to determine which two teams. Now, right now, Oklahoma's in the driver's seat, and so is Oklahoma State. Those those are the only two teams at this moment that can say they're in the driver's seat. You know, you might sneak in Iowa State there because the Cyclones get to host Oklahoma State this coming weekend, and they still have Oklahoma on their schedule. But really, the 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 two guys out front, it's it's Oklahoma and and Oklahoma State, and then Baylor and Iowa State right behind. Baylor's already lost Oklahoma State, but they get the Sooners in Waco. Texas, Texas Tech. Yeah, I would say Texas Tech at two and two. There, it's a I, I don't know. Maybe this sounds weird, but I think Texas Tech is a different two and two than than Texas is. Texas two and two in conference, four and three overall. Texas Tech two and two in conference, five and two overall. But it's just a different two and two in my opinion. When you when you look at the struggles they've had uh, defensively, you really thought Texas Tech had turned it around when they went to West Virginia, but then you find out West Virginia is one of the two worst teams in the Big 12. West Virginia and Kansas are going to battle it out for the seller. In conference play, in conference play, Kansas has been outscored 28 to 145. Kansas has scored four touchdowns in in three conference games. Kansas has scored four touchdowns. In three conference games, Kansas has given up 145 points. Why is that significant? Why is that significant? It's significant for two reasons. Because that's there's two teams below Kansas. That's not the most given up in the Big 12. Kansas has given up 145 points in, the, in Big 12 play. The next most, the next one is Texas at 149. Texas, the Texas defense has given up four more points than what Kansas has given up. And then Texas Tech. Texas Tech at 156. That's why I said that two and two for Texas Tech is a little bit different than what you see for Texas. Maybe it's not much when you look at it from this way. But the Red Raiders, two and two in Big 12 play, giving up 156 points on the season. By the way, the second least amount of points scored in Big 12 play belongs to West Virginia at 53. That's why um, that game, that win for Texas Tech, their their wins are over Texas Tech and Kansas. Doesn't really impress me much. Let's break down the Big 12, tell you what happened over the weekend, and then we'll close out this episode. 
All right, five games in the Big 12. Only one team was off, but Baylor played out of conference. Uh, we told you uh, we told you Oklahoma was going to beat TCU. We told you Oklahoma was going to cover the point spread against TCU, and so we got that now. We've already broken that game down, but Oklahoma State, all I, all I ever, ever am is wrong about Oklahoma State. Maybe I need to give Texas less credit. I think it's time. And I need to give more credit to Oklahoma State. And that, they got to go to Ames, Iowa next week. But Oklahoma State, 32-24 to 24 over Texas. Another collapse. The, the, the Longhorns outscored. It wasn't quite as bad against like it was against Oklahoma a week ago. But the Longhorns outscored 19-7 to 7 in the second half, 16-0 to nothing in the fourth quarter. And let me just tell you what's going on with Texas. There's all kinds of theories out there, all kinds of crazy step, speculation. All let me, here, Here's what it is. Conditioning, maybe it plays a role in it. That's one of the top theories. Inexperienced at quarterback, maybe that plays a role in it. Casey Thompson with a terrible interception that sealed the game for Oklahoma State. But here's where the problem is. You ready? I don't think Texas can make second-half adjustments. I think they have a solid game plan to start the game. But I think once teams go to the locker room and they come out with their adjustments, I don't think Texas can adjust to the adjustments. And that's what you're seeing. That's what you saw against Oklahoma, where early in that game, totally out start, totally outcoached Alex Grinch. Alex Grinch began to make adjustments midway through the second quarter, made major adjustments at the half. Texas couldn't do anything second half. Early in the game against Oklahoma State, they're out Sark's out coaching Mike Gundy. Mike Gundy showed patience, stuck with Jalen Warren, 33 carries, 193 yards. They make the adjustments at the half. Texas can't adjust to the adjustments. There's your problem. It's coaching. It's coaching. That's what it is. It's not, I mean, there's, there's, there is a, a talent gap there, and I don't understand how. When you look at the top five or the top recruiting classes that Texas gets, I don't understand how there's a talent gap, but there is. Development has always been a problem in Austin, but the X's and O's of coaching, uh, Steve Sarkeesian is is getting tested a little bit, and and it's not really, it's not really getting better in in Texas. It's not really, you know, he's got to go to Baylor. The next two games for Texas are at Baylor and at Iowa State. And right now you're on the outside looking in. You're you're number five at best in the Big Twelve. You're number five at best. Yeah. I thought Texas was back, but there we go. It's not. It's post. It's post hate week, so I don't have to keep going there. Uh, we told you BYU would fall to Baylor. We told you to cover the over there, and that's what happened. Uh, Texas Tech forty-one to fourteen over Kansas. I, this game wasn't as close as I thought it was going to be. Uh, now Kansas with a with a fourth quarter rally, outscoring Texas Tech fourteen to three. I just I just really thought that Kansas would be able to to run the ball. Um, but I was wrong. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, and I would stay 33 to 20 over Kansas state. We said this would be a big 12 conference elimination game for Kansas state. You kind of thought the wildcats were dead in the water as it was. Uh, but, uh, Brees hall, 30 carries 197 yards in this game. And, uh, I wish still a player two and one in conference play. Kansas state is just trying to, trying to find bowl, um, eligibility now. Oh, and three in the big 12. That's it for this episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. We'll, we'll be back later on in the week. 
try to break down Oklahoma and Kansas for you. Again, you can hit us up on Twitter at Sports, Sports Heartland. Uh, you can find us on the internet, heartland-sports.com. Uh, hope you had a good weekend of college football. Enjoy your week. Thunder basketball starts this week. Basketball heads, get ready. Uh, enjoy your week. Boomer Sooner, everybody.